0: Hello, welcome to this podcast, and uh, this is going to be about the special issue on research that will be featured in the Future Healthcare Journal. My name is uh, ching Hao To, and I'm the Academic Vice President of the Royal College of Physicians. And with me is the co-editor of the special issue, Professor Paul Stewart.
1: Hi, Cheng Hock. Uh Yeah, Paul Stewart here. I'm a, a, an endocrinologist, professor of medicine based at the University of Leeds, but here uh, in my capacity as vice president of the Academy of Medical Sciences. And it's been a true pleasure to work with you on this initiative.
0: When we look back at this, Paul, it seems like a, a long time ago when, when we aired this idea. And it's really good to see how, how this has come about. And in some ways, a lot of the planning was before the pandemic hit, and some of the outputs that that we have had from the the group of authors has uh, uh, really, you know, taking it to a, a different level. Certainly, from what I had imagined.
1: Yeah, I'd agree with that. I mean, we, as you say, this has been eighteen months, hasn't it, in gestation, and and obviously before the COVID pandemic and. You know, we'd work very closely together as across the college and the academy um, on um, you know issues that were really relevant for the future of health research. Then, you know, the issues highlighted in the NHS Academe report uh, from the academy and the RCP report on research for all. You know, we wanted to move to a healthcare system that truly valued research, um, CQC metrics, board level representation. Um, producing increased capacity to do research, the attrition of clinical academics and more time for um, uh, NHS staff engaged in research. Um, You know, improving the skill sets for our undergraduates and greater flexibility in postgraduate training were just some of the issues that we would flagged together. And as I think we'll come back to at the end, if anything, COVID has highlighted the ongoing importance of, of, of all those issues.
0: Yes, I, I, I totally agree, Paul. You know, Although we were trying to future-proof things when we set up on this task, um, whilst COVID-19 has put a different slant to, to many things, nonetheless, it has brought a true focus on where we need to be moving forward uh, beyond the next five years and certainly into the future of how the various sectors, such as the NHS, Academia, industry, and society as a whole need, need to kind of almost work together to make sure that we achieve the grand ambition of better health through better research and through better policy making.
1: Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. So, you know, I'm, I've looked at again at the amazing contributions we've got for this journal, and um, just in terms of blaze trailing some of that, Chang I think there's some really exciting articles we've got here on the major challenges uh, facing healthcare today.
0: Yeah, and, um, you know, a couple of them addressing different angles, for example, you know, the, the population that uh, will increasingly need healthcare you know, as we all get older as a society, Um the Chief Medical Officer of England has consistently highlighted the complexities of multimorbidities, and in some ways, although research has come quite a long way since, you know, the, the, the days when Sally Davis was championing best research for for best health through NIHR, um, a lot of the current studies seem to be in uh, single disease areas, and many of our patients. That you see, Paul, and and I see, have a lot of complexities and multi-morbidity research will, would almost certainly be, be an important area, and that's nicely covered through different lenses. You know, um, the the Lester group, uh, Melanie Davis's and Kamlesh Kunti's group have given us a, a truly inspiring uh, piece of work looking at. Ep- not just epidemiology but but areas where we need to start, start thinking more closely upon um, including the ethnic minority population um, and yeah I, I just wondered what your thoughts were about the the focus on aging by by Adam Gordon and his team
1: yeah, I thought it was a really exciting article and and as you say, you know highlights um this issue, as in my short time in medicine, I think we've had seen seven years of of added life expectancy, but as we all know, that hasn't translated into health span. Um, with with that kind of clustering of comorbidities, very much contributing to the aging aging phenotype. Um, and I thought a really great paper as well on health inequalities, um, which as as we've I think seen directly in our back in our own geographical bases, as being further exposed with. With COVID as well, um, and I know you were excited, Cheng Hok, by, by uh, Dame Sally Davis's contribution.
0: Yeah, I think that's of course very, very timely as well. You know, we all we all know the great work that uh, Sally has done over many years, and currently in her role as the UK's uh, representative on the antimicrobial resistance uh, agenda, and. Um, and, and this this feature from her um, highlights the challenges, but also talks about some of the really innovative thinking that, that is uh, coming along, not not just at NHS level, but but uh, uh, certainly globally. And and many of you will know that at the recent G7. Summit. Um, there, there was a broad discussion on, on the threats of antimicrobial resistance. So, certainly, I think our our readers would would, would get a lot f- from hearing uh, about things um, as they evolve. And no better person than, than Sally to do so. So, um, Paul, I, I know over the years, you, you know, you your work has very much centered about. Uh, making sure that we have a workforce that can uh, deliver healthcare in a research proactive way. Um, and that's going to be more important, isn't it? Because as you highlighted earlier, uh, certainly the trend in the last decade has been a reduction in the number of uh, clinical academics in the field and whilst there's lots of attempts particularly led by the Academy of Medical Sciences to to bring that back to to where it was before uh, nonetheless the majority of the medical workforce is um, not sort of affiliated to universities and of course the, the vast amount of the clinical workforce are, are not necessarily medical people so so uh, your suggestion of involving um dave jones and emory was was really good and um certainly i very much hope that the wider f- workforce beyond the physician or medical family will 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 take note of that article
1: yeah i totally agree i mean we know that there's a huge inroad still to be done to um reverse the attrition of clinical academia. I mean, just to give you some updated numbers that in secondary care the clinical academic workforce is now less than five percent of total. But in, in areas where arguably the need is going to be greatest going forward, notably in primary community care, it's it's just down at 0.4% of the, the total workforce. And I think Anne Marie and Dave's article also highlights you know that this is as, you, as you've indicated it's not just medical and dental um we rely hugely don't we on the outstanding excellence of of our research nurse community and what career structures need to look like across our nursing and allied health professionals is going to be really important
0: yeah unfortunately we can't just turn the switch and suddenly workforce numbers increase to the extent that we would love them to be um and I suppose the landscape now is um, around how how technology, including artificial intelligence, has made such an inroad into how we think about delivering care, and, and um, you know we we have several uh, related features to that, um, and certainly. I think Paul, you would agree that it was a bit of a coup for us to to land the chief medical scientist of Microsoft, uh, Jenee bashwa to to write an article for us. Um, um, yeah, what 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 were your thoughts about how how that has come come through?
1: Well, I th- I, I, I mean you're right. This is a a, a a real coup for us. But but I would recommend that all the readers look at this. I mean, this to me offers what must be a A bright light for the future. I mean, how often are we looking at escalating healthcare costs? I was in a meeting the other day with the Health Foundation, looking at possibly another 60 billion of of healthcare costs costs just to stand still effectively over a next 10-year period. Um, So we've got that as effectively against a relatively flat or an economy that's not growing at that scale. And, And we're going to need innovation to break that cycle. And I sense most of us realize that if we get that exciting convergence of AI with medical technology right in a place that's acceptable to patients and the public, um, then we've got a fantastic opportunity to to break that cycle and deliver real innovation in that space. And, um, you know, this is also a hugely rapidly growing um, area in terms of, of company developments, economic growth, further resonating against our strapline. Cheng Hok of, of better health is is, is better wealth so a really important article that I'd recommend you all read and then of course you know the other things that we've we've also pushed forward in in earlier reports uh, Cheng hok was the was the whole thing of interdisciplinarity and cross-sectoral working and we've got some great contributions in that space as well
0: yeah certainly you know it's always refreshing to to listen to this this and his contribution to the special issue again highlights the need for us all to to have our brain cells stimulated you know by by thinking about things that are perhaps not so conventional and um, you know when you think about it more closely, it makes sense you know biophysical aspects of of, uh, of care needs to be considered, but also the kind of technological contributions uh, from professions such as engineering and others. So, so that piece of work that um, highlights the importance of interdisciplinarity and cross-sectoral engagement, um, I hope comes through time and again as, as readers uh, go, go through this uh, special issue.
1: Yeah. And, you know, an extension of that, of course, is our, uh, you know, and the pressing need for for a much stronger relationship with industry. And I think, again, as we'll come on to, we've seen that through COVID and uh, Malcolm Skingle and colleagues, I think, you know, highlight the much needed work that still needs to be done in that space, not least, um, you know, greater mobility across um, academia industry in terms of, of um, increased porosity across different sectors.
0: I wanted your your views, Paul, um, about some of the barriers uh, that um, you know might might face some of our readers uh, when when they look at this. Because clearly, uh, sometimes there's a perception that, that all these articles about future uh, future healthcare or future research uh, may be a little bit uh, conceptual, blue skies, but but. Uh, what we don't want to to be uh, doing is sending a message that all this is aspirational. I think we we do want to to convey that actually a lot of that work is ongoing, and we just need to to embed it more.
1: No, I entirely agree, and um, um, you know that it probably needs to happen at pace. And, and if I'm if I may, also it's not just restricted to pharma. You know, we've got to be doing this at greater scale with ABHI partners as well as um, pharma partners, um, you know, in the health tech sector as well. Um, and then the, the the other point on that, which I and I still hear, you know, Chris Whitty and Patrick Valance uh, ringing in my ears that the m- much needed, um, you know, focus now of research must be seen to drive policy. And I think we've got an outstanding contribution from Fingerhut and others in terms of Uh, highlighting some of the critical importance of that something that's really important i think for all of our emerging researchers think about the not only the impact but the future policy implications of the work that you're doing
0: yeah it it, um, again i think adds another dimension in it to have uh, contributors from a think tank who can yeah shine another light on it and and certainly what i Picked up from the article was, you know, that, that stress on uh, alignment between sectors as we've discussed, uh, not just clinical and academic, um, but uh, policy and technological systems that, that we've already talked about. And in that article, what, what, what caught my eye was uh, the sort of enablement of uh, P for health, you know, P standing for predictive, preventive personalized and participatory and it. it it sort of shines a light on how important that um, research is much more engaging i know we've come a long way about patient involvement and engagement but, but it's almost the public you know they need to be very much part of the dialogue and if if uh, nothing else, I think in some ways COVID has uh, been a game changer and you know, everybody has understood the importance of becoming much more involved um, in research studies uh, and the reasons why. So so a key element of, of this special issue of Future Healthcare Journal will be about how, how COVID uh, will have a legacy in it hopefully we will be uh, over the worst of covid in uh, in the next couple of months but but a lot of things uh, will have been changed forever and um, and certainly an angle that i hope this issue projects is that covid has been a driver for for new ways of doing research but also innovation in how we we make the alignment of research delivery better.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, no, we couldn't possibly, could we have published anything at this stage in, in our life cycle without, without the COVID word? Um, and, of course, it's probably no coincidence that Martin Landry, now Sir Martin Landry, um, coincided with his contribution, which is an outstanding article from um, his colleagues on the recovery trial. And just what a kind of game changer that was as we all got wrapped up in the, in the delivery arm of that. And, and some of us as well in terms of prioritizing compounds that were going into, into the recovery trial. But, you know, in my own neck of the woods, who'd have thought that dexamethasone, you know, a drug that I've been using for years, would have saved 16,000 lives in the UK um, in patient, patients with COVID. And all of that, of course, came from that prismatic recovery trial. Um, and i think martin and colleagues also set a challenging way forward for how this field has to has to evolve with greater attention to adaptive trials you know a greater thought process for randomization for for all where we don't have answers to 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 clinical scenario Um, but as you've highlighted cheng hot the wider for me, game changer that that COVID has brought. Because whilst we know there are challenges, there's challenges around sustainability. We've seen the downturn in the charity sector. There'll be ongoing challenges, obviously, for the workforce um, and that balance of NHS delivery, um, clinical care versus research. But COVID has been the touch paper where I think the public at, at large have seen the huge impact that science has had in coming together to effectively tackle a once in a century pandemic. And if that's not a jolt for all of us, um, from chief executives of NHS Trust to, 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 the, to the layperson, um, you know, in our population for the power of research and innovation in driving clinical care, then, then, then I don't know what is.
0: Yeah, certainly from an RCP uh, perspective: A lot of our members and fellows were, were in touch with us to say that you know they had previously not been research active or even engaged, but um, but the recovery trial and other similar trials that they were exposed to just just made it possible. Um, and apart from the design of the trial, um, and of course, uh, you know, all kudos to to Martin and his team for that. It was about the whole system coming together wasn't it the uh, you know the regulatory authorities the you know the turnaround of, of approval of this trial from you know the typical ninety days down to nine days you know it's tenfold difference and you, you kind of wonder how do we get to such a place when when um, research was in some ways so so laborious and you know bottling up these um lessons that we've learned about how to do things better will will be an important legacy, I think.
1: Yeah, really important we don't go backwards. And, you know, the kind of Lord Bethel um, future for the clinical research vision that they've outlined, you know, that's really at the core of that, the the alignment of regulatory um, uh, research delivery, academia, NHS, so that we can continue the pace and scale that we saw um, on on these COVID studies, whilst at the same time, you know, picking up the, um, you know, some of the um, the issues that COVID has left behind. So I've I, just to reiterate again, Hawk, I've thoroughly enjoyed doing this with you. You know, the the partnership working we have across the academy and the and the college is is very strong. It continues to be so, and I think has been uh, cemented through. Uh, this really exciting initiative. And I, I really do hope that our readers find this of, of helpful, um, it, it is of help. So many thanks again for asking me to contribute to this.
0: It's been a pleasure and thank you so much. I think certainly, you know, having more than one perspective certainly um, I think enhances the, the what we can offer to our readers. Um, as we said in our joint editorial at the beginning of the issue, you know, research will never be the same again. And uh, I know we borrow that slogan <laughs> from elsewhere, but but I think it's very true. And I hope that uh, when we look back at this special issue um, in years to come, we can we can take pride in in um, yeah, perhaps uh, putting things in a way that that helps our readers. Um, engage more and be more, ac- be more active in contributing to better health through better research. So thank you, Paul.